Let's go. <laughs> All right, here we go. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1,000 Hours Outside, and I have an author on today that I found just going down a rabbit hole of books. He has so much going on. Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's so glad to be here. I'm going to read a bit of your bio because this is so unbelievably impressive. Cognitive scientist, humanistic psychologist, exploring intelligence, creativity, the depths of human potential. You have founded all of these different things and you have become this deep reservoir of inspiration for people who are bright and creative but have been diagnosed with learning disabilities. And that's a big part of this book, Ungifted, Intelligence Redefined, The Truth About Talent, Practice Creativity, and The Many Paths to Greatness, which is just such a phenomenal book. Oh, thank you. You've got your own podcast, The Psychology Podcast. It has over 30 million downloads included in Business Insider's list of nine podcasts that will change how you think about human behavior. Just such an incredible story here of someone who was labeled and you overcame and you have so many accolades to your name and to the things that you're doing and so very kind i just was so inspired by this book ungifted what a title ungifted intelligence redefined i would love if you could tell the listeners it's a lot of moms and i think a lot of kids receive different labels and different things like that if you could tell a little bit of your story, like you talk about in Ungifted, how you, when you were really young that you started to get these labels and they really were defining for your early childhood years. Well, yes, it, 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 you start to see yourself through a single prism, a single lens, I should say, not a prism, a single lens. And you, and you want to be seen through many different you know, in many different colors, you want to be a prism. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just, it can be very frustrating, especially, you know, uh, if you, if you think you're smart, <laughs> and you think you're smarter than people think, give you credit for, it can be very frustrating. So I took a lot of it underground and, uh, and got into computers and stuff that no one, no one really could see what I was interested in. Um, but, um, you know, one shouldn't have to hide their, their their intelligence um out of shame for being smart no one should have to feel shame for being smart and no one should have to feel shame for having a learning disability either Mm -hmm. yeah so when you were a kid you had these different labels put on you said you know i performed poorly on an iq test and i had to repeat a grade and i mean that is a really big thing like you said i remember thinking to myself gosh i must really be behind if they don't think i can handle the next grade but you said that deep down you knew that you were capable of more. Do you think that that's the experience of most kids that like someone else puts a label on them, but inside they're kind of like screaming against that? Oh boy. I think that almost anyone who is reduced to their disability or their disadvantage completely knows they're capable of more because objectively that is the truth. Mm. You know, we, we all contain multitudes we all um, contain, uh, cha- you know, uh, see the world in a way that there are certainly challenges in our lives, but we also have strengths uh, that we can build on, at the very least, character strengths. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you, you're having trouble finding something you're talented in, you, there's still uh, aspects of your being, not your doing, but your being that you can build off of, you know, even even just a drive to to be of service to the world or a drive to, 
um, be creative um, can lead to great things in your life, you know? So I really think that, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So here you have these labels put on you and you've gone on to do so many things and you would think that maybe people will get the picture, like maybe this isn't the best thing to do for children. Maybe it's very limiting for them. And you go through some of the backstory of like the IQ test and where that came from. Why do you think we're still doing this? Uh, doing what exactly? Like, why do you think we're still labeling? I think there's still so much labeling that's happening. I mean, you really hear about it all the time. Do you think that, I guess I, maybe that's maybe the wrong question. Do you think that there's any benefit to it at all? Or do you think that it should cease to be a practice and we sort of do something else with the multitude of genius and greatness and learning styles and all of that of, you know, kids that are growing up throughout their childhood in the classroom and things like that? Well, I think we need to break down the false dichotomy we have between gifted education and special education, mm -hmm. first of all, um, and recognize that um, you can both can coexist. You can have twice exceptionalities. You can have thrice exceptionalities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you can have so many. So, you know, humans are very complex. And all students, I think, um, have a drive for self, uh, you know, there's a drive to actualize our, their potentialities mm -hmm. and to have their basic human needs met. I mean, the labeling is unfor unfortunately necessary in an education system that requires uh, official diagnoses to obtain resources, but it doesn't, those labels don't need to be broadcast as broadly to the rest of the students mm -hmm. uh, as, as we currently do in, in these kind of false dichotomies that we've set up, as I've just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So you have these childhood experiences and they take you on this path of pursuing, you say, the truth about human intelligence. Mm. So this is a really broad question. Maybe it's an awful question. Is there a truth about human intelligence or, you know, when you say the truth about human intelligence or is there a multitude of things that you've learned about human intelligence? Oh, well, yeah. The, you know, there's, there's very rarely like the truth in science, everything. You get closer and closer to the truth, but you never obtain it. Um, you know, data can show you've been on the wrong path. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of facts about uh, human intelligence um, that are very nuanced and interesting. And to get a complete picture, you have to connect lots of different dots. There is a uh, the kind of the kind of skills that are measured on IQ tests are real, and people differ greatly in those skills and their impl implications for where you score in these various um, cognitive functions for school performance. That's true, mm -hmm. but there's so much more to intelligence. There's there's creative intelligence. There's you know ability to imagine things that that don't exist, whereas IQ tests really do a good job measuring coming up with the one correct answer of something that does exist. Mm -hmm. And there's, even within IQ tests, there are domain-specific forms of intelligence like visual, spatial, and verbal uh, at more finely grained level. We can look to see, you know, what, where a person has their own pattern, unique patterns of strengths and weaknesses 
the summary score of a person's intelligence by a single number is is what I really rail against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting in your book to read about the history of those tests and that the way that they ended up being used wasn't necessarily maybe the original intention, but it caught on so fast. Like you had the numbers, it said, you know, in one year there was a couple thousand and the next year there was tens of thousands of those tests being given. Do you think it's just, it caught on maybe sort of out of convenience? Well, the, the original intention of the IQ test by the Frenchman Alfred Bernay was to find people who needed uh, accommodations and that was simply it mm-hmm. and help them but americans took it and ran with it in a way where they did mass testing mm-hmm. uh benet really was argued for individualized testing um and really uh elevating the the tester above the test to, to have nuanced thoughtful interactions with the student mm-hmm. But Mer- Americans betrayed that spirit and created test banks and multiple choice tests and used it uh, to limit potential as opposed to Binet just wanted to act, help activate potential. Wow. So as often as with a lot of things Americans do, they looked at the profit motive above the human motive. Mm-hmm. Never quite put it that way before. Yeah. And it kind of just seemed like it spread like wildfire. What's interesting to read about Alfred Binet in your book, too, that he was, when you talk about self-actualization, and but that he was self-taught. Uh, he, he was quite a dude. Yeah, what an interesting thing. Like you said, he, he educated, well, he's, it was very bold in saying, by the sole force of my own fists, no one has ever helped me. Huh. But what an interesting background. But similar to if you're talking about a lot of these kids and things who maybe are being labeled or shortchanged in their educational experience that they're having to do what he's doing, which is push forward on their own or push past the expectations of others. So it was really interesting. I didn't know some of the history of that. And it was really interesting to read the history of that test in your book. One of the things that you talk about, which is particularly interesting, I think, to this audience, you talk a lot about play. So that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I love that. We're trying to increase open space and we're trying to give kids time to do like what Benet did where some of the education is self-driven. Can you just talk to us about what pretend play does? And you talk about it for people of every age, so not even just kids. I do. I do. But adult play can look very different than childhood play. Mm We don't get into great detail what I mean about that. But um, childhood, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Childhood childhood play is very important to lay the foundations for pretend play, for imagination, for being able to take the perspectives of other people. Um, so you can do uh, role-playing, play modeling, you know, um, where you, um, you're like, well, you know, what do you think Susie's thinking, you know, in this situation? Um, if you get, you know, if you do this action what do you think the consequences on someone else's mind are you know so pretend play can be very very valuable as a child for the normal part of cognitive development Mm -hmm. and uh, you know a lot of times people talk about play they 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 think rough and tumble play but pretend play cognitively is is just as important Hmm. it's so interesting you have in here early imaginative play is associated with increased creative performance years later so it's a really interesting 
thing to learn about. And when you're talking about people taking different paths toward where they need to go, that creative play is something that's pretty unique, I would think, to kids and to adults. So that's helping them along their paths. Have you met just a lot of people over the years that have latched onto your message and latched onto your books and gone further than they realized that they could? I, I hope so. I sure hope I, so. I would imagine. A lot of parents have told me that um, I've inspired their like autistic child or something, you know, to, um, to, to, to keep going. Um, I, I just hope I inspire everyone through all my books mm -hmm. to, to keep going and to not adopt a victim mentality. Mm. I think it's very, very important. Um, I think that we give kids a victim mentality through these labels sometimes where they, it doesn't ever dawn on anyone that maybe they have, they can have greater hope and possibilities for themselves. Maybe they can break out of their mental prisons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible message. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. It's a big deal. And I just, I mean, I know I used to, um, I used to teach in high school and I just had a lot of experiences where kids would come and I taught math. So that's one of those ones that, you know, kids feel labeled early on that they're not good at it. And I just, my heart went out to them. You know, you have a child that's 13, 14, 15, and they just have this view of themselves that permeates and seems to stick. So I always just, I, it's a hard thing, you know, and you try and change it. That was actually really one of my biggest goals was to change their perception. It doesn't matter if they love math. That's what I would always say. Like, I don't care if you love it, but I just want you to know that you can do it or you could do these different things. And, and truth be told, whether you can or you can't also, I don't think it really matters. So there's that too. Mm. So um, it's just such an important message. Is there a distinct moment for you where things switched, where, you know, you're feeling kind of boxed in by these labels and people's expectations and you're like, well, no, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to do all these things. Ninth grade with the special ed teacher asking me what I was still doing there. Mm -hmm. um, really set me off yeah. on just a mission to defy expectations mm -hmm. and discover what I was capable of. Yeah. So one of the things that you talk about is just all of these different paths to success. And there's this woman um, named Dr. Madeline Levine. She says, like, people assume that you're, you've got, like, this straight shot to success. And she says, well, no, like, everything is just kind of, like, squiggly all over. And I kind of see that like with your path, right? Here you have all you have all of these things going on. Like you have courses and I mean this is incredible that you founded the Center for Human Potential and you're the director for that and you are a podcaster and a teacher and you've taught at all of these universities. And do you find that at this point like you've kind of reached your pinnacle? <laughs> are there still things that are really intriguing to you that you're trying to learn about? Well, that question came at a good time in my life um, because I, uh, you know, having a midlife crisis over here and I, you know, I have my uh, red Corvette outside and my 20 year old girlfriend. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. Um, only part of that is true. Um, but no. So um, look, <laughs> I have a cheeky sense of humor, but look, I really, I'm shifting into like a new kind of realm in my life um, where um, I'm getting a little edgier uh, and I'm taking on more of the culture, um, the culture wars. 
to help society heal. So, um, how's that going? Uh, quite well, quite well. You can follow me on Twitter for all the controversy, but um, I really I, I'm trying to turn my lens to helping to heal all the divides mm. in America right mm -hmm. now and help us all see a better way forward. And uh, and that's really this next stage or chapter of my life and also help uh, with uh, developing uh, the coaching tools that are grounded in science because uh, to help individuals heal as well. So very, very, you know, I've, 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 I've written 10 books, but they're, you know, very academic and scientific, but now I'm really entering a practical, very practical and perhaps a bit edgier part of my life. Tell us about the coaching. You've got your self-actualization course. Is that correct? And the coaching? Mm -hmm. Yep. I have my self-actualization course and it's a three-day intensive that we're doing for coaches uh, in December, uh, December 8th to 10th. You can go to sacoaching.org for more information about it. We're, we're developing a new form of coaching that we think unites a lot of different perspectives in the coaching field and really helps the individual with their whole person their whole personhood you know and uh, and 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 become a creative flourishing human would love to put it in school someday mm. and have uh, schools trained in so, so teachers see themselves as self-actualization coaches in, uh, instead of teachers i think that'd be wonderful it's a word that doesn't get thrown around too much i think Self-actualization, like it's something I've heard of, and obviously you've got courses on it, so you're talking about it often, but do you find that it's something that's not part of the common vernacular? It's not. It was bigger in the 60s, hmm. but, you know, like, let's bring it back. <laughs> yes, yes. Just because it was big in the 60s and doesn't, doesn't mean that we shouldn't bring it back. Why do you think it fell off? I mean, there are not as many hippies nowadays, and uh, Esalen Institute isn't as big. The human potential movement isn't as big, but I'm trying to have a new human potential movement that is really grounded in science. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, I mean, some people, they don't know what I mean by self-actualization. And so let me tell you, yeah, it's not about being selfish. It's about becoming all you can become so you can fulfill your potential. Who doesn't want that? Right. Who doesn't want that? Well, and you see it. You see it in your path, I think. Thank you. When you talk about 10, you're welcome. Like 10 books, 10 books. And Dr. Scott, Mary Kaufman. I mean, this is 30 million podcast downloads. It's such an inspiring thing. Thank you. And, and I could imagine like as a parent that you could be pretty crushed if your kid is struggling or getting these different labels. And so... Your path just really highlights what it could be. And like you talk about, just finding like your own greatness. So I really love that. If you want to hear where do you get that this holiday season, Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping fun and super stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. And they are truly unique. If you hop on over to uncommongoods.com, you will find all sorts of gift ideas that you have never seen anywhere else. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Good knows exactly what they want. Here are a few of my favorite gifts that I have found on their site. 
I love all of their kitchen accessories. They have phenomenal cheese boards and snack dishes and serving dishes and plates, things for outdoor dining as well, like the flour and herb drying rack and the bee cookbook stand. It is all so cute. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. You can get 15% off your next gift by going to uncommongoods.com slash outside. That's uncommongoods.com slash outside for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. One of the things that you talk about is dyslexia. Mm. I love the list that you had of famous people who are dyslexic. So that's in this book. But can you talk about some of the benefits? I have talked to a couple times this man named John Muir Laws, mm. who is a nature journaler. And he is a famous, like a famous nature journaler. Nice. And he's dyslexic. And he talks about that quite a bit. But he's got these books he's written. And he just talks about that there's really so many benefits of it. So can we talk about some of that for parents? Well, everything you know, everything that where there's a difficulty or challenge is also an opportunity to compensate uh, and develop in other ways. And I think so many kids with dyslexia become amazing entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, if you have trouble with the written domain, I just think humans have such an amazing capacity to adapt and for neuroplasticity and mm. um, and not to demote the struggles at all. Or denigrate the the real struggles of having to read, uh, you know, when there's assignments to read, mm -hmm. that can be very frustrating. But it also uh, affords an opportunity to cultivate your nonverbal intelligence and cultivate your mm -hmm. oratory skills. You know, uh, all that time spent not reading, you know, spend it talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, be able to learn how to sell anything become an amazing entrepreneur, become a multimillionaire, and then have your midlife crisis like me. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not a multimillionaire <laughs> by, any stretch, by any stretch of the this imagination. Is this why your, by this is why your podcast has 30 million downloads. I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. I do. That's what that John Mula said. Because I'm broke? <laughs> that, that's <laughs> uh, he says, look, you, got, you have to find a different way to do things. Oh, I see. So then that gives you a unique perspective and something that's your own you know he said if everyone else goes through the front door and you've got to go through the window mm. because you're struggling with the reading well then you're the only one who figured out how to go through the window and so there's a really an mm. awesome list in here of famous people who are dyslexic and they talked about how there's a much you just said it much higher instance of dyslexia among entrepreneurs what about this concept of mind wandering it is we don't really have much time for mind wandering anymore we don't. You talk about the benefits of it in Ungifted. Not every mind that wanders is lost. There we go. There's a book title. I know. I know. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. I think there's a, but there is an important difference between mind wandering and daydreaming, positive, constructive daydreaming. Mind wandering can be lost. You know, there, there, uh, there is research showing that people who have executive attention issues tend to mind wander more. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can be frustrating when you're required to be paying attention to something. But it's very possible to control it and uh, direct your daydreaming to 
positive constructive ends like my uh advisor in grad school the legendary one of my advisors um robert uh what the hell's his name <laughs> please i hope you do editing i, I, do I hope do you do editing. editing absolutely i do as my dear mentor <laughs> jerome l singer uh studied jerome l singer um uh, positive constructive daydreaming can be very valuable for a lot of creators and journalists, uh, not journalists, a lot of creators, writers, you know, creative writers, uh, artists benefited so much from positive constructive daydreaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just don't really have the time for it anymore. So it's an interesting thing like you talk about, this is going to help us with compassion and self-regulation that we need to have time for mind wandering. I thought that was such a great concept. And then one of the things that you talk about too is that in terms of academic achievement, that self-discipline really is one of the keys to that over and above IQ and willpower. Do you find that people like that message? Or <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of a hard message because then you're like, well, shoot, <laughs> like, you know, this is my issue. Like, I've got to deal with it. I've got to try and have willpower and a little bit of self-discipline in order to be more successful. Well, I mean, we, we really underestimate the, the value of discipline. Uh, my friend Ryan Holiday wrote a really good book about self-discipline recently and how a lot of the greats throughout human history really harnessed that superpower. But I, I'm all about like integration, you know, like I think too much discipline is bad, you know, like it could, could, it could start to become self-flagellation. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, that's not good. Perfectionism, being harsh to yourself. I don't, I'm not down with all that. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, discipline is good. Being able to suspend the desire in the moment uh, when it could lead to a much greater reward of meaning later mm -hmm. is often quite valuable. And that can be a real superpower to be able to have that skill. But I'm also all about balance, integration, and play, and, you know, and uh, sometimes, you know, eating that pizza, because why not? Life is short. It's true. It is short. What about this concept of just that there are so many paths to success? I love what you wrote. You say there are hundreds and hundreds of ways to succeed. Do you even remember writing this? I mean, this is like a decade ago. No, I don't. <laughs> I, sometimes I feel bad because, well, you come across a book when you come across it. And the way I came across it is that someone else in another book suggested it. And then it looked super interesting. So then I read it. I was like, this is a fantastic book. Will you talk to me about it? But it's, I mean, it's from a decade ago, which means you probably wrote it 11 years ago. And you've written a lot of things mm. since. I looked very different then. <laughs> Well, it's so interesting too that you can put something out in the world and it's going to hit you. You have no idea when it's going to hit someone, when they're going to read it and find inspiration from it. You've like, you know, you've moved on. You've done all these other books. But one of the things you talk in here, which is one of my favorite sentences in the book, is you say, there are hundreds and hundreds of ways to succeed and many, many different abilities that will help us get there. So you say we should spend less time ranking children and more time helping them to identify their natural competencies and gifts and cultivate those. I love this concept of focusing on what they're good at instead of the deficiencies. Yeah. 
and I, I don't think that we do that. I think we actually kind of tend to do the opposite, right? So the kid is struggling and they're getting a C and such and such, and we're trying to get that to be an A instead of, you know, if I would just kind of maybe letting that thing go. Do you talk a lot to teachers or homeschool parents? Like, are they coming to you for these messages? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, especially parents of children who are 2E, mm-hmm. you know, who they clearly have gifts that are extraordinary mm-hmm. and have challenges that are extraordinary. They can be really tough navigating a school system uh, that really has put people into one camp or the other and has trouble seeing the totality of a child. Mm-hmm. Do you have specific advice that you give? It depends on the question. Like for, um, I know, sorry. And I'm struggling here. <laughs> no, it's funny. It's funny. No, I'm laughing at my own sort of joke. <laughs> I mean, if you ask me, like, you know, what's your advice on well, how to play the flute? You know, I, I got nothing. What's your advice to parents who, like, their kid is put on one track and it's not really working for them hmm. and they just need a different path? Uh, enable, empower the child to be their own self-advocate hmm. and say, this ain't the right path for me, folks. See, it's like I was the only one in my school district to ever have you know sort of broken out of special ed as a kid mm. and you know why 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 is that why don't we empower kids to have more of a voice they know themselves better than anyone else knows them mm-hmm. if something doesn't feel right if a kid feels like they're capable of more you know we should empower them to tell us what they need uh what they're or what they tell or what they think they're capable of and, and give them more challenges. I'm a, I'm a big fan of salt of, of uh, student advocacy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you did. It is. You advocate for yourself. It is. You broke out of special ed. That's a really big thing to say because it does seem that that's not even an option. No, I know. I know kids. Exactly. Exactly. Once you're there, you're there. So, okay. So you've written these 10 books and I came across this one, like I said, it was suggested in another book and it really caught my attention and I really loved it. Of the other nine, can I ask this? Which one are you most passionate about? Uh, probably Transcend. Mm-hmm. It would have been Ungifted before Transcend. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like Ungifted was like my baby. That was like, you know, that I spent so many years dreaming of writing that book and mm-hmm. it will always have a special place in my heart. Um, but I think Transcend is the most comprehensive, up-to-date synthesis of human development and uh, human needs. Mm-hmm. Of the 10, was there certain ones that were harder, a lot harder to write than others? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which- um, I've, been, I've been blessed to have three books where I've had a co-author. Mm-hmm. And those were great, fun experiences. Um, and... Uh, I recommend it. I recommend working with someone on a book, uh, and they and they did terrific jobs with it. So three of those books, yeah, were were co-written. Uh, three of my authored books were co-written, and then I have edited books, academic volumes, which I co-edited. But the ones like Ungifted and Transcend are my two blockbuster mm-hmm. single author uh, ones, and then the one I'm working on right now, which will be out in 2025, is going to be my third single authored hopefully blockbuster wow are you giving any hints to that yet or is it still kind of under wraps it's uh under wraps but it's definitely my edgiest one 
today. Mm-hmm. Comes out in 2025. It's definitely going to have people talking. <laughs> That's what you like. <laughs> Where are you at in the process with that then? If it's coming out in 2025, you're still in the process probably of writing it? Yeah, midway through it right mm-hmm. now. Is it something that you enjoy doing or is it kind of a slog? This one's uh, I would describe as extreme torture. <laughs> <laughs> How come? Well, right, writing a book is so tough it is so uh you're it's like you're it's so lonely it's like you know imagine running a marathon alone and you're not done the marathon for two years and no one cares about your progress no one's watching all they do is care about when you finish that cross finish line mm. that's basically what it's like i mean i'm you know i have to motivate myself mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good parallel do you find that you're taking some of your topics that you've talked about from your podcast and different guests? Oh, everything. It gets all woven in. Everything. Everything is tightly integrated. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. It, there's callbacks from Ungifted. Yeah, it's it's my most integrative piece yet uh, and most societally relevant. Mm. It comes out in 2025. I'll have to be following along to make sure that I catch that. Okay, so you've got this podcast that has 30 million downloads. 30 million. Mm-hmm. 30 million downloads. It's unbelievable. Thank you. Are there a couple episodes that people ladder back to a lot? Because I know sometimes with podcasts, there can be certain ones that people go back to and are still getting shared. Do you have a few like that? Um, interesting question. I, I think that there are some... Uh, any of my polarizing episodes seem to get a lot of hmm. listens. It's fascinating. People people are interesting uh, in that way. They, they love, like, you know, getting riled up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my interview with Jordan Peterson, you know, has probably the most views of any episode I've done because he's a very polarizing figure. Have you heard mm-hmm. of him? Yeah. yeah I like yeah. his voice. He's very passionate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that though those are the ones that kind of stand out. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Noam Chomsky, that was, you know, good. Uh, uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett has gotten a lot of views. She's a terrific neuroscientist. I anticipate that, uh, the new one coming out in a couple of weeks with Robert Sapolsky and free will will probably get a lot of views. My conversation on free will with Sam Harris got a lot of views. That was a two part series. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Of all of the things that you do, like the writing and the teaching and the coaching and the podcasting, what's your favorite? Oh boy, that's only some of what I do. <laughs> Give me more. Um, okay, you mentioned teaching, podcast, speaking, coaching, writing, coaching, speaking, directing, speaking. Oh, you you're directing that. a fa- you're directing the Center for Human Potential. Wow, you did mention a lot of the things. Good job. I'm impressed. Um, that that that's, that's is there anything else? Um, I want to get more. I want to get back into some things like cello, mm-hmm. like opera more artistic mm-hmm. things i really miss the artistic sides of my life mm. i miss fantasy i think that like fantasy is really underrated fantasy like what like book reading like dreaming I yes i love science fiction i love play acting i love you know being in plays i love mm-hmm. being in musicals I just think yeah i think all that stuff is beautiful i miss it but yeah, you mentioned a lot of the goodies that I that I am currently involved in. But what was, was the question? Is there one of them that in particular that stands out? Or fave? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, my favorite my favorite activity is in bed, and that's everyone get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> and that is me just reading 
by myself, uh, some nerdy, intellectually stimulating thing on my bed where no one bothering me. That's my favorite activity. <laughs> that's my favorite activity. Is that really nerdy or what? <laughs> I think that's great. I like to read too, all by myself. That's one of my favorite things. Okay, you tried out for American Idol. I did. And you wrote an article about it. Twice, twice. Twice, yes. You wrote an article, How to Win American Idol. Do you ever sing on your podcast? No, I don't. Maybe I should start doing that. <laughs> Do you ever sing on other people's podcasts? Um. Yes, when they ask me to. Can I ask you to? <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, no, not warmed up. <laughs> you just said you said when they ask me to. <laughs> Do you mainly sing opera? I like musical theater. Mm -hmm. I like I like operatic musical theater. You know, like Les Mis. Oh, that's right. Classically trained in vocal performance and loves singing musical theater. What's your favorite musical theater? Oh boy, uh, to choose what Les Mis probably. Mm -hmm. But I love fan of the opera i love jekyll and hyde i love some of the older ones that people might not have heard of kiss me kate south pacific one dream in my heart one love to be living for one love to be living for this this is my dream hmm. you didn't even have to warm up la, 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 la. okay no i just i I, feel, I don't think those were the right words but um uh man just love that old school stuff mm. so beautiful mm -hmm. you know the, the 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 musicals that set place in like the 20s and 30s it's just wonderful. I, I really miss it. And, um, and I really miss, yeah, I just, I think I'm just like ground. I, just, I think everything I do is so much reality based, you know, science, um, that I just crave fantasy more. You know, I think that we all could use a little more fantasy, uh, in a world that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting answer, Scott. Like, you know, say like, well, which of these parts is your favorite? Like, keynote speaking and whatever and you're like none none of it <laughs> what my favorite part is is the things that i really love 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 to do and it's just a reminder to get back to those things which really ties into this piece about play and adults playing i love teaching yeah i love mentoring yeah. students i love mentoring love coaching yeah i love that mm -hmm. yeah sorry what were you about to ask no well that's cool though that is the answer though that's that's one of your favorite pieces of what you do is it like, cause you can see that kind of one-on-one -on -one life change. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I'm sorry, what were you about to ask me? Um, I was going to ask, I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought, but I was thinking about when you said that it's this, these things that really light you up, it's the cello and the singing and the musical theater. And would you consider that is a way that adults play? Some, some ways, some ways, yeah, but just whatever allows people to get outside themselves and take alternative perspectives and play around and other, other ways of being other ways of doing things. I think all that is creative. All that can be playful. Um, I'm, I, I'm really into comedy. I do stand up comedy. I do improv. All that stuff is very playful as well. But you do everything. <laughs> yeah. Cause you only, live, you only have one life. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I want to live ten lives in one life. In one life. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like you're really doing that very, very well. 
Thank you. What would you say to someone who wants to win American Idol? Oh, yeah. We didn't really close that thread, did we? Um, well, I wrote a cover story for Psychology Today called How to Win American Idol, um, where I took all my scientific knowledge and personal experience failing twice and realized um, the best advice I can give is not to, uh, not to audition for American Idol um, unless you satisfy two main categories. One, you are exceptionally exceptionally talented and have put in the work and are ready to show the world how amazing you are or you are abysmal abysmally bad that it is entertaining how bad you are if you're anywhere departure whatsoever from those two categories don't even bother it's not worth it what did you audition with the first time or the second time i'd love to hear both um the first time was um casey and jojo all my life and the second time was this is the moment from jekyll and hyde would you ever do it again i might well i'm too old to do american idol even though i keep having these dreams reoccurring dreams that i lie about my age uh and, and audition it's it's actually a reoccurring dream of mine um but um i would say uh i can't do american idol but i may audition for america's got talent someday mm -hmm. actually yeah, I would. I would say maybe in the next couple of years. I think you should. Uh, if I get back, get back into voice lessons and have a goal, mm -hmm. um, I think. Uh, yeah, I think I may audition for um, um, America's Got Talent because there's no age limit there. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize there was an age limit yeah. for American Idol. I believe so. I believe there is. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, this is like um, such a good conversation topic because it's like I think as you're growing up, there's a lot of maybe not a lot, but some time built in for music lessons and sports and musical theater and all those types of things. And then you become an adult and it's just like not really there. I mean, there's just so few opportunities. Like, are you able to still do musical theater? Like, is there community things where you're at? Um, not where I currently am at, but I certainly hope to um, uh, get back into it when I uh, move back to New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah, New York City is kind of where it's at. Yeah, that's yeah. where you got to be in order to do the different things. Well, Scott, this has just been so awesome. I loved how you started your book. You say, this book is dedicated to everyone who feels trapped by a label. May this book inspire you to believe in yourself and to set yourself mm -hmm. free. What an opener. And with this really cool kids who are different, I guess it's like a poem. And I just love that. So for families who are interested... I mean, it's from a decade ago, but I really liked it. Time flies. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's amazing. In that one decade, well, yeah, like a lot, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Including a global yeah. pandemic. Sure. Yeah, it is crazy how things have changed in 10 years. I mean, can we end with this? Um, you have this manifesto for your human-centered education. I just feel like this is something that people should put on their walls. Thank you. It says children aren't machines to be manipulated, exploited, extracted. Children are developing whole human beings with a multitude of needs, motivations, and future goals. Did you write this like with a group? <laughs> no. no, it was for uh, Louis Vuitton uh, asked me uh, to be one of their, uh, it was, this was in their museum. It actually was in the front store of every Louis Vuitton store in the world for one day. And I didn't know what I was going to create. They asked me to create something to appear on the front store window of every store 
And so I said, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not an artist. And so I said, why don't I just create an education manifesto and, and did this? <laughs> wow. It's unbelievable. In some ways, each child is like every other child. In other ways, each child is profoundly unique. This is a beautiful thing. Thank you. I wrote this in a one hour. You know, I wrote this in one stop hour. it. Yeah. yeah, I just literally sat, sat down and just uh, it poured out of me. One hour? Yeah. Wow. Now, this is a beautiful thing. I think every parent could have it hung up in their home, the manifesto for human-centered education. I'll put in the show notes where every people can find you. There's a ton of places that people can find you. Like you said, you've got your 10 books, you've got your, your three-day course, the self-actualization, the coaching, and this book, Ungifted, Intelligence Redefined. We are aiming to get kids outside, give them a lot of their own time back. Kids don't get a lot of time anymore. A lot of it's eaten up by adult-directed activities. So we always end our podcast with a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside. Uh favorite memory from my childhood that was outside um well that's a wow what a great question uh i i i was in the student olympics actually summer camp i'm gonna go i I was an athlete growing up and i went to a a sport all all boys sports summer camp and there was he was so talented he was like the best runner in all of summer camp and i had so much grit and determination and beat him in one of the races and got I think the record at that camp and uh, that was such a triumph for me. Mm-hmm. Sticks yeah. with you forever well thank you so much I just yeah. really I love this book I can't wait for your next one 2025 I'm already counting down uh, just phenomenal very comprehensive like I learned so much thank you know from the things about the IQ test just to the pieces about play like you talking here about juggling and our mental growth and just an absolutely phenomenal book from start to finish. I love that you started with that poem and love that you wove your story into it. So just one that really I think is impactful for parents to read. I'm sure anyone, but especially parents, ungifted intelligence redefined. And thank you for spending this time with us. Oh man, thank you so much. Thank you for the research, the level of research you've done on me. I'm very touched and honored. Thank you for singing for us too. <laughs> what a treat. That's You're what welcome. I was hoping for. You're so, welcome. Thank you. I think those words were wrong, but my pleasure. <laughs> but the melody was right, so it sounded fantastic. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.